The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here with Janardan Kiwin, Janardan Das. Janardan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Harry Bull. I don't know <laughs> so, why everybody calls me Janardan Kiwin. It's really weird. For some reason, okay, I'll tell you why. My, I'll tell you why. Sure. Because my introduction to you was was um, a kirtan, and the kirtan's title, like the title of the kirtan, was Janardan Kiwin at like <laughs> Brisbane Rathiatra. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But then I knew you as that. But then when I met you. I was like, oh, that's the same Janardin. So then from then on, it's always been Janardin Kewin. Someone someone started putting up recordings of just all the Brisbane devotees. Yeah. And for some reason, everyone had their name and Das or Dasi or you know, Madaji or Prabhu or something. And for some reason, some they put where well, they're putting Kewin on mine. And so from, from then on, it's always <laughs> everyone's been this person Das and that person Dasi and <laughs> Janardin Kewin. Uh, anyway. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> So for those viewers um, who don't know Janardin, he is uh, from Australia and is a the temple president there of Iskon Brisbane Temple. So uh, I don't know if you're the youngest temple president or uh, I think there's one other Gurukuli temple president someone yeah. was telling me. Yeah. Uh, but um, I find that really fascinating and I think you have a lot to share from you know just your experiences being in management why you're in management as a as a as a guru coolie is like really interesting and fascinating because like not many people do that like you don't see that you see mostly guru coolies maybe a little bit jaded by management might be jaded by authority um not wanting to be involved in iskon or you know iskon um organized anything for that matter but you have like just fully gone in i just want to hear more about that more about that but before that maybe we can talk about basically your upbringing so you also went to gurukul in vrindavan mm. tell us about like where you were born and then how did you end up there and how that all went down um so i was born in sydney so my parents um my father came from sort of a wealthy family mm -hmm. but he was he was a bit of an outcast in, I suppose, after joining the Hare Krishnas, you know, it's, it's, it, it was quite a strange thing for that family, I suppose, to experience for their, you know, for their son to go and, and join, um, you know, this strange, this strange kind of you know, movement. But um, I grew up with, the, you know, they, they joined in Sydney and I was, I was born in Sydney. So they, they, um, they got married in the Sydney temple and um, we, we visited India as a family when I was, I think three years old, turned four in, in Mayapur. Yeah. And then we went to New Govardhan and I went to the Gurukul there at New Govardhan for a couple of years before going to Vrindavan. So I was originally supposed to go there for maybe a year. Um, I think they had like a little, some kind of a scholarship program where they would send, you know, one kid every year oh, really? to go and, or, you know, they, they, I don't know if it was a trial and, but they would send some kids over to Vrindavan and, and my parents, um, 
they gave me the choice. And so I, I kind of thought it was going to be like Tarzan living in the jungle because, you know, growing up we were, you know, bedtime stories of <laughs> Krishna and, you know, swinging on the vines and the monkeys and, you know, stealing butter that's and just kind of like hanging out with the cows. And, and that's what I thought that Gurukul was going to be, was right, basically right. being a coward boy. And so I was, I was really eager to do that. And so I went and, um, it was not at all that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, quite a regimented lifestyle, waking up at three 30 every morning and, um, you know, cleaning our rooms three times a day and, um, you know, washing your clothes by hand and having cold showers, you know, whether it's, you know, the middle of winter or, or summer, um, we, I remember times where, you know, Vrindavan gets cold in the winter and really hot in the summer. It's just yeah. extremes. And oftentimes the water system would, would fail and we'd have to turn on pumps to, you know, pump the water back through into the bathroom. So, so when that, when the water wasn't working and the pump wasn't working, we'd have to connect hoses that would go, you know, these, these hoses in India were very, very soft kind of hoses. You can yeah. kind of squish them. Yes. Yes. So we'd connect hoses out to, that was, you know, to a tap that was part of another water system in another building somewhere. And someone would have to run down in the middle of winter, like turn on the tap and then, you know, yell back, is it, is the water coming out? So I remember one time the water, we had this hose coming out from, we were up on the second floor. Um, and this, this hose was coming from, from another area and up through the window of the bathroom and the tap was on, the water was coming out from the tap, but it wasn't coming out the end of the hose. And we were trying to figure out what happened. We were looking for kinks in the hose all along the way. Couldn't find any kinks in the hose. Like, why isn't the water coming out? So we started squishing the hose all the way along. Eventually the hose got hard. Oh, like no. rock solid it was frozen water in the in the hose <gasps> and so we had to smash it so that the water would come out water freezes the there? it must have been an exceptionally cold winter i mean yeah, it's yeah. it wasn't a usual it wasn't yes yeah. it was quite an unusual thing to happen yeah um but yeah i remember one really embarrassing time <laughs> was um there were, there were some taps that we all knew worked. Even when our building lost water, some taps worked. Yeah. So there was one time, and it, I think it was during Kartik, and everybody's in Vrindavan for Kartik all over the world. You got people coming and visiting. And so um, this one tap that always worked was the, was the tap right outside the temple where the, just after you take Charanamrita, you wash your hand in that tap, mm. just outside. So that tap always worked. Yeah. So... I was I was in my gumsha in the middle of winter, just squatted in this tiny little thing, curled up, just trying to splash some water over me. Yeah. And then uh, and then I said, Oh, Harry Ball Janardin. And it was my it was my old Gurukul principal from Nikovada. And I look up and oh, I'm just Lord. like, and she's trying to wash her hands from the Charanamrita. <laughs> and um, so yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. Um and and so my my parents gave me the choice. They used to call me up regularly. And they always said, um, are you happy? Do you want to, do you want to stay there? Do you want to come back? And, uh, um, I chose to stay mm. and I asked to go back and I kept going back every year and, until I couldn't go back anymore, uh, you know, essentially. So, um, my parents always would, would always tell me, you just let us know when you want to come back, we'll put you on the next flight home. Yeah. And they would almost try to convince me, you know, you want to come home. We kind of, we miss you and we yeah. want you back home. And, yeah. 
And I would always say, no, I, I want to be here. This, this is where my friends are. And um, I just, I chose to stay and I had a positive experience. It wasn't that everything was easy, you know, it was tough. We had to, we slept on the floor a lot of the time, you know, we didn't have soft mattresses and, you know, eventually we got pillows but they were really weird, you know, pillows that looked like they were filled with, you know, garbage or something. It was like really lumpy. I think someone pulled out a bloody bandage from it one time. And there were those weird things that, that people would just stuff whatever fabrics they found and, and sew it up. And that's a pillow. Right. Um, and, you know, washing your clothes by hand and, 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 you know, and doing all so much stuff that you have to just do for yourself. Yeah. Um, but, there was just so much good times as well. Wow. So many good times. We, we, we had our friends, we lived with our friends. We played every day with them. We learned so many things, you know, like I really miss my Mridanga classes. You know, that there was, it was some really good times and not just practicing Mridanga. We had a, our Mridanga teacher was, um, was really good at telling ghost stories from his Bengali village, you know, ghost stories, which were, which were awesome. You know, that was one of the funnest things about Mridanga class. Wow. How many years were you there? Um, a bit over seven, so maybe seven and a half years. Yeah. Wow. So what years, so when did you leave there? 2001. Oh, yeah, okay. I left, yeah. Oh, wow. And how old are you now? Gosh, how old? I'm 36. You're 36? You yeah. say 85? 86. Oh, okay. I'm, um, I'm 85. I'm going to be 37. Yeah, so you're 36. Wow. And, and you were telling me, I, I wanted you to tell it again because... This is so fascinating, but you were there in like all these different weird times. One of them being when Kadama Khan and Marge was shot. If you mm. could kind of tell that story again of what, like he told it for those of you who don't know, Maharaj told the story when he came on the podcast, but this is like a different angle uh, from someone who lived in the Gurukul. Like that's where he actually got shot. Yeah. I, I really wanted to, um, even write to Maharaj and, 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 and just tell him a, a little bit about <laughs> yeah. not only my experience, but also my appreciation for him. Yeah. Um, but I, I imagine he's got so much on his plate and, yeah. and he's, and he's trying to look after. So even the given the condition that he's in and he's trying to give to everyone instead of take support, yeah. he's trying to give support. Yeah. He's trying to help everybody as much as he can. Um, and so I just, whenever I see devotees like that, I've, it's to my own detriment, but I always feel hesitant to go up and talk to them or, you know, yeah. have some, spend some one-on-one -on -one time with them because I feel like I'm taking away from some important time that they could have with someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, but when he was, um, the temple president at, you know, at that time he was the temple president in Vrindavan, he was a brahmachari and, uh, he, He's, he's got, you know, he has got a bit of a, you know, that strong Dutch kind of personality. Mm. And um, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard for that style to gel with like the, the, the very, I guess, a very different style, you know, Indian culture. Mm. And they're used to doing things, you know, in different ways. But for us, from, from the Gurukul boys perspective, we loved it because, um, we always looked forward to Saturday night Gora Arti because we got one sleep in every week. 
and that was Sunday. So yeah. every every Sunday we got to sleep in until five thirty, and so that was awesome <laughs> for us. Five thirty, yeah. sleeping. Oh my god! So that was you know we looked for oh, to sleep in until five thirty. So good. So we got to stay until you know as as long as Gora Arti Kirtan went. And so he, oftentimes there were you know I remember oftentimes where he would lead that Saturday night Gora Arti. And the Gurukul boys would would stay back. And there were a couple of times where that kirtan just kept going. Mm. And, you know, Mar so you know, this this high tempo, intense kirtan that Maharaj does, it's not not a new thing. You know, he was doing it a long time ago. And we had these intense Gora Arti sessions where you just time would go on and 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 slowly people would just, you know, leave the temple room until mm. until it was just the Gurukul boys. And Kadamakana, you know, Prabhu at the time. And it would be wild. So I remember one time it was in winter. And so we had socks on. And so we would we were running up and down the temple room and you know, sliding, you know, <laughs> doing, doing <laughs> trying to do like Superman slides and and just going absolutely wild. Like I think, you know, some people would probably frown up <laughs> on on how wild these kirtans, but for us it was really fun and, and we just got to let loose a little bit, but we were right there in front of the deities and yeah. and the doors would be closed, the deities would be going to sleep, and um, but we just kept going with the kirtan and until eventually late at night, someone I remember one time someone came over from the Krishna Balaram guest house, one of the managers or something, and uh, and came in to to tell us to to basically be quiet and, and stop the kirtan and and you know it's, it's too late. And they they sort of poked their head in and saw it was the temple president. And it's like, oh, okay. And then sort of just like reversed out. Um, so so yeah, we really enjoyed. Oh, I I really enjoyed those those times with him. And so one time, uh, I was I woke up in the middle of the night in the Gurukul building. So in the Gurukul building, you have well the old Gurukul building. Um, we had like three three levels. And so I was, I was on the second level and then the brahmacharis, a lot of the brahmacharis would live on the top, on the third level. And so, um, Karamakana Swami had come down, uh, to the second level and, and, uh, he went to use the bathroom there, um, which I only found out later. So I, I woke up for me, I, I thought it was the middle of the night. It might've been nine or 10 PM. We went to bed very early because we were waking up at, at three 30 in the morning and, um, I needed to go to the bathroom. There was no electricity, quite a common thing, you know, at the time. So I went back to sleep, but look, I'll hold, <laughs> I'll go back. I'll go back when the electricity's on, because if you go to the bathroom and there's no light, you can't, you can't see what's going on and yeah. it's just a mess. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so I went back to sleep. I woke up and, uh, I went to the bathroom which, down the end of the hallway and, um, the door was closed and there was a chain on the door and the lock which is, I'd never seen that before. Um, so it was weird. So now I have to go all the way back to the other side of the building to go to another bathroom. And so I did that, went to sleep and like, okay, we will, we go to Mangalati the, the next morning. And after Mangalati, we, every day we have announcements about the book distribution scores and, you know, what's been going on and what donations have been coming in. And, uh, and then there was a very, very somber, like very serious announcement. Um, that you know, last night, you know, the temple president Kanamakana Prabhu was shot in the, in the Gurukul. That's wild that they would that they would make that announcement. 
I it was shocking. Like nowadays, they uh, for some reason I feel like no one would like they would keep that on the DL. Like they wouldn't make that announcement. Anyway, sidebar, but it was yeah. I, I don't remember the exact words, but they announced it and that he was in hospital and that you know we should pray for him. Right. And it was really it was a very eerie feeling in the temple room. It was quiet. There was just m- some quiet murmuring happening, um, and. I sort of had this tube light moment where my brain just clicked on that. Oh, could that be why, you know, why the bathroom was closed? And I found out later that that, that was the bathroom. Oh my gosh. And that, you know, that they'd cut the electricity, um, gone into a stall there. And, and when he went in, they, they, they'd kind of got him from, from one of the adjacent stalls. And, um, and I, I don't know whether this is true or not. Some of this now is, is from what we started hearing afterwards from some of the devotees who were, who were going to see him and take care of him, you know, in the hospital, making sure he was okay. Yeah. But that, but that apparently he had initially the initial shock of it because it's in it, you know, if it's in darkness, he wouldn't have even seen immediately what had happened and that. In India, sometimes the the electrical wiring in, inside the walls is a little dodgy, and a lot of moisture can get into the into the cement of the walls, and um, and sometimes you can touch a wall and get a quite a serious electric shock. And so I had heard that he had thought initially that maybe that's what happened. I, wow. I've leaned I've leaned back and touched the wall and gotten and gotten a shock. Yeah, and it was only later you know, maybe a few moments later when, when he, he could feel, you know, the, the blood and, and then of course, maybe as the adrenaline starts to wear off and the pain kicks in and started to get some more awareness of what's actually happened or something, something very serious has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was really wild because I, I then realized that had I gone to the bathroom at that moment when the light was off, I may have actually run into the shooter because that was that was our bathroom that was the gurukul boys <laughs> you know bathroom wow. and had i not decided to go back to sleep and wait for the electricity to come back i could have you know run into something wow as far as gurukul is concerned you feel like you're i mean you seem like you're very normal in the sense of like i don't feel you like you have any hang-ups were you always like that? Like a lot of people from Gurukul, they might have some things like either they didn't have a good experience, they might have been abused or they neglected or something like, but it seems like you had a good experience. Yeah. I, I Overall, I'd say I definitely had a good experience. There, there's not really, I mean, there are one or two things that happened that were mildly strange, but I, I never got any experiences i never had any experience where i felt abused or neglected or right. you know or anything like that i mean yeah. there were there were a couple of times where some weird things happened um uh like um i remember one time my my ashram teacher at the time he um he had gone over overseas for a holiday and he never came back because they found him dead in his room with an overdose of heroin. Really? And we found out, and, you know, he would preach to us about drugs and, you know, don't take drugs and all this kind of stuff, you know. And so for us, it was very strange. And so 
when that happened, there was a big conspiracy about it that they'd found him. He was found dead in his hotel room, but some before he may have had experience doing this before he was a devotee, but he'd given it up and, and become a devotee. But for somebody who has some experience doing that, they should know what the right amount is to take, even if they are going to do that. Right, right. And so that was one thing that how did you overdose to that extent? And the other thing was that apparently some of his documents, like passports and things were missing from his room. So there were a couple of strange things. Anyway, there was some kind of who knows what really happened. But right. but for all of us, you know, we were praying for him and we went and did uh we went and did a, a, a big Vrindavan Parikram together, you know, in honor of, of him. And um, so he was a very artistic person. He was a really great artist. He used to paint. Sometimes he would paint the deities in Vrindavan as well. Um, and I don't, I don't know that being an ashram teacher was his calling. It might have just been a service that he got thrust into because he was, he was more of an artist. Right, right. And um, so we were doing this pyrocrum and one of our other teachers was with us and um, – and he started saying things to us like, oh, you know, he he killed himself because of you guys, because you you all gave him so much trouble and, you know, you were so much tension to him and that's why he did this. And But I, I remember even at the time, like, that it, it didn't affect, I think, us, but I'll, I'll talk for myself, didn't affect me in a negative way in, in that I took on any of that. It was yeah. more like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, right. like, why would you say something like that? So yeah, yeah. for us, we were just like, ah, oh, silly, like whatever, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. And we just, you know, we kind of start almost teased him about it, you know, even though he was our teacher. Yeah. Um, so there were a few strange things where people that perhaps didn't have formal training in child psychology and, and how to, you know, and teaching, and they were thrust into, into those services out of necessity. So there were things like that, but overall I had a pretty good experience and I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have any life changing negative experience. Yeah. And then when you came back to Australia, it was because like you, it wasn't like there was no high school there in, in Rindavan. So you had to, or college or what was that like? Um, so as, as I got to, I guess the limit of, of academia in the Gurukul as it was at the time, they started a new program where they did sort of the British O level, the A levels and O levels. And it was sort of like a trial and there was a very small group of us. So I stayed back and, um, and I did that, but, um, slowly people started dropping out and, and by the time we were close enough to taking exams, there was hardly there were hardly any people left and 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 it just sort of caved in on itself yeah um so out of necessity i i came back and and finished high school in australia yeah. and and then like how was the how was the adjustment going from like all devotees to oh it was weird because I had never, I'd never been in a non-devotee, you know, like a karmi school before. Yeah. I'd never been in a schooling environment outside of ISKCON. Yeah. My, right from get-go, right from, you know, kindergarten, grade one, two, it was New Govardhan Gurukul in Australia. And then, and then, uh, then it was Vrindavan Gurukul. That was it. So all of a sudden, 
I come back as a teenager and I'm thrust into, you know, senior years of high school. So 10, 10, 11, and 12, because A-levels I think is, is equivalent to year 10. Yeah. And, and we were just shy of, of finishing the, the exams for that. So I had to basically go halfway through year 10 again and, and do that so that I could sit the exam. And all of a sudden we're in a non-devotee school environment with boys and girls, you know, all teenagers. And, and it was very awkward. I wasn't used to, I was very shy, you know, speaking to girls as well. Right. So it was a bit it, trying to navigate, you know, how, how do you deal with, how do you function in this society, in this group? And a lot of the kids, uh, you know, including the devotee kids were a lot of their recreation included, you know, drinking and partying. And, and, um, I just had it drilled into me that not to do it. And I, I don't know that that's the only reason I didn't do it. It might be just because I just wasn't interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I think the other reason is because I'm so stubborn that if someone tells me, oh, you're, you're definitely going to do it. And so even the devotee kids were like, oh, we'll give it time, give it a couple of months, you'll be doing this with us too. And I was like, well, let's see about that. And it was just a straight stubbornness in me that, that was yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to show you I won't, um, rather than any kind of uh, spiritual, um, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Sankalpa or something like that. Yeah, right, right. Um, so that was weird because... Um, not only I didn't know how to function, but there were so many things about living in a Western country that I wasn't used to. Like I remember thinking that, you know, portaloos at a construction site, I thought they were like generators for, you know, or batteries for power. And then I saw people going in and out and I'm like, what kind of batteries are these? Oh my gosh. I didn't know how to use, so like in an oven, like the grill, I didn't know how to use a grill properly. There was just a lot of things that we didn't have. Yeah that I just had to figure out how to use. But wow. I think I adjusted pretty quickly and pretty well. Like I, uh, I'm sure I was a little bit weird, um, but I don't have any hangups about it. And, and I think I adjusted fairly well. Mm -hmm. And then you went to college also, you went to university. Yeah, so I, I came back to uh, New Govardhan after Vrindavan and went to school in the local town there and finished year 10. And then I went to Brisbane, um, which is the capital city of Queensland, just north of New Govardhan, and moved into the Brahmachari Ashram and completed year 11 and 12, my, my senior years of high school there. And How come you didn't live at home? Um, by the time I'd finished my uh, year 10, there were not not as many of the of the kids that I'd known were still around, and the ones that were were not doing the same things that I was interested in. Um, like I wasn't so I was not really interested in you know drinking and and that kind of thing. And a lot of the recreational time was spent doing that. Um, and so the temple president at the time of Brisbane basically told me you should come up here. And um, it'll be a better environment for you. And so I decided to do that. And um, I, I think I was just bored, to be yeah. honest. And 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 um, is that and, the current Brisbane Temple? Is it the same place? No, it's moved. It's the same people, same community, right. but but it's moved. moved. So we've the the temple's been renting for decades. So it was renting in in a suburb called Graceville, 
and then uh, then it moved to a temporary location while they were finding somewhere else. And they found then then they found another one. It was there for a few more years, and just this in the last couple of weeks, in the last fortnight, we just moved to a new place, which really? was a huge, huge job uh, because the the landlord of, of that place is wanting to start to develop that land. And so we had to, we had to move out of there. And, and, and you're, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but you're also building a new temple. Yeah. So the, that's, is that on that new, the new place you moved? Is that the same land or something? No. Else? So the place we, we were up until about two weeks ago is neighboring the land that iskon owns oh yeah i remember when i went there yeah it was like the temple is just the temple built room i think right oh no there's a kitchen in the back or something yeah there's paraphernalia yeah dd kitchen devotee kitchen office you know guest bedroom you know bathroom and shower But it's all like one is like all one level yeah it's all like it, yeah it's like one house that's been renovated and adjusted right. to and then when you go out in there temple. there's another pro there's a more land and that's where the temple is going to be yeah yeah quite a decent sized piece of land that goes right up till the end of that of that road right um so that's where we're planning to build yeah that's awesome okay so then tell us about um how you got involved in iskon management because i know that you told me that as a kid first you you were thinking of oh yeah i would want to do that i would want to be involved in that way but then mm -hmm. as a teenager most of us think that way like oh i'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole like yeah i and now you're fully been in it for years now a, a few years yeah. um at some point i mean you were vice president for a number of years and yeah. then now president yeah um it i suppose gr like growing up as a devotee sometimes we have a bit of a hang up especially once we reach our teenage years um i know others did i know a lot of my peers did as well have a little bit of a of a hang up about publicly identifying as a Hare krishna amongst your non-hari krishna friends yes you, know, you go to high school and and you know you, you you're dressed in your school uniform and everything and the next minute they see you out on harinam with you know with a, with a dhoti on and and uh it, it i don't know if it's as weird for them as we make it out in our own heads <laughs> i think we point. imagine it to be way weirder than it is yes because most people are fairly accepting and and a lot of people are kind of interested to see something different I'm like okay that's kind of interesting and yeah. they'll usually ask questions and it's kind of a gateway to conversation and yeah but but as a teenager it's all you want to do is fit in and um so for me that was something that i started thinking about that how do we present ourselves to the world how do i how do we present ourselves to other organizations other religious organizations or other, you know, non not-for-profit or community organizations, but also how do we communicate with each other within ISKCON amongst temples, amongst, you know, countries, zones, communities, and amongst one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, between devotees and between management and the community, how do we communicate? And I had seen some weird things, you know, growing up, um, or at least that I thought were weird, you know, especially as a teenager in terms of how we communicate with each other and when we, when you look at the outside world or the rest of the you know world it 
it just seemed a lot more normal. It seemed a lot more, um, it seemed like the communication was, is, is better elsewhere than it was with us. Now that might, that that's probably just a perception that I had. Mm -hmm. And so I had this idea that, well, maybe I should study communication. So after I finished high school, because we were in, you know, because we were, I was in a city temple in Brisbane. So most of the community, their children were all going to university. So that just became my natural path. Um, but I didn't have, I didn't really have like a mentor to tell me what to do or th this career is good. This is where you're going to make money or, you know, so I just kind of guessed and I went with my gut, which was, I feel like communication is an area that's sorely needed. Yeah. Um, you know, in my uneducated opinion. So we went, so that's what I studied. I, I did a, um, a bachelor of organizational communication. I majored in, um, sorry, a bachelor of business communication. I, I majored in organizational communication and, uh, and a second major in marketing and PR. Hmm. And, um, I remember I was sitting in a organizational communications lecture and somebody asked the lecturer that, Hey, how do you actually change the organization of a culture? Sorry, the, the culture of an, of an organization. And the lecturer says, well, you fire everybody in the whole organization, you rehire new staff because it's so difficult to change the culture of an organization once that culture has already set in. Yeah. Every time, because stories are passed on through generations um, and they form traditions. And once those things become no the norm, it's very hard to change it or get rid of it or, or, or introduce new things. Yeah. And so at that point, I remember thinking, oh, this is not for me. I don't, I don't want to do this as a service. I just want to be a devotee who, you know, comes to the temple, does, you know, he does a little service here, does some kirtan and just, and that's it. And, that, and that's good for me. Um, and by that time, I'd also been exposed a bit more to the complexities of communication, you know, within, within such a large volunteer organization like ISKCON. Um, so that, at that point I, I decided that's not something I, I actually want to do. And, and years later, um, somehow, I, I don't know, Krishna had played a little joke on me or something, but, uh, but, um, the temple president, the previous temple president started we, we had a good friendship and so he would always call me up to, to discuss, you know, things that were, that he was dealing with and just confidentially discuss things and ask advice. And, and I always played the devil's advocate and look, my wife hates me for this. Um, she doesn't like, I, I have this thing where whatever side someone takes, I'll off. If, if I, if I feel that the other side's not being represented, I have this compulsion to sort of you know, try and represent it. And it's very annoying. Are you a Libra by any chance? I'm like as Libra as it gets. Bro, what? So <laughs> am I. What, what date were you born? October 12th. 15th. <laughs> Look at that. That's what Libras do. It's the, I, it's yeah, the balance. So. It's the scale. It's like a compulsive need to balance things out. Yes. It's really weird. Oh my God. That makes so much sense. Anyway, sorry, continue. So yeah, I'm aware of how weird it is, but I can't, I can't help it. Yeah. And, um, and, but, but I, what I appreciated about, you know, this temple president, you know, who, who we, we used to speak all the time is that even though I would often contradict him and I would often give him the opposite opinion of what he had as feedback, that he almost liked that. 
And that's almost why he kept talking to me. He didn't want someone to just tell him, yeah, whatever you said is right. And, right, right. and I sort of appreciated that because it, it gave me a sense that he was genuinely trying to help the community, not just trying to impose his own will on them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and he asked me to, to officially join his team for a few years. And I was, and I said, absolutely no. And, um, in his, and, and then one day he asked me, no, you, you know, I, I want you to be vice president. And I said, there's no way, like, I'm not qualified. Uh, there are so many reasons. I mean, everybody knows mm. everybody who knows me, everyone in my community, they know <laughs> there are many reasons why I'm not qualified, you know, for, for this kind of a service. Um, but, and it's not even something that I was, that was after, but, but somehow, um, he kept asking and, and some devotees, some senior devotees sort of pushed me to, you know, okay, you, you should do this. And so eventually I, I sort of did. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I ended up. And then you became, eventually became president. Yeah. So, so the president, um, was a very fit, very healthy, you know, really strong Chatria style devotee, um, had, you know, very, very strong opinions, um, very ethical, um, or, you know, always trying to be very, very fair with people. And, um, anyway, he was a very, very healthy guy and he very un, it, it was not expected at all. It was, it was very surprising. We found out that he was diagnosed with cancer and, um, you know, not an old devotee and, um, and he deteriorated quite quickly and, and passed away. And he asked me, well, he, he, he sort of made me promise to, to continue on. And, and like, and as keep... he was like, as he was dying when, when he was close to the end. So I, um, I had, I went to India about maybe two to three weeks before he passed away. And, and we both knew this was the last time we were going to see each other. Yeah. He was completely emaciated. He was still, he was, he was still getting up and just bearing the pain and, um, and, uh, and trying to fight me, trying to, you know, trying to do jujitsu with me. And he was really into, you know, martial arts and yeah, everything. Yeah. And, um, but he was skin and bones and, you know, he, he asked me, he made me promise and, and oh, don't make me promise this, please. You know, like, it's, uh, it's not, it's not an easy thing and it's not something that I was, was necessarily a, um, an ambition of mine. It, it wasn't something that I saw myself doing. Yeah. Um, and it was, su it's such a big responsibility. Um, it's quite daunting to take on something like that, especially when you don't feel that you're qualified for it. Yeah. Um, it's really shocking yeah. to hear that because I I associate it with that. We can say his name, Jai Vijay, right? Yes. Jai Vijay Prabhu in Vrindavan when I was there in, I believe it was 2010, he had come and he, we, he had come and sit in the Kirtan and we made friends and he's like, could you teach me harmonium? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll teach you harmonium. Like some, he was really yeah. friendly, really nice. So I went to his room and like, uh, in Vrindavan, like at one place, like by Chaitanya Vihar or something. 
And um, I went a number of days and we developed this really, really nice friendship. I was teaching him harmonium, things like that. And today I'm hearing that he's not around anymore. And I'm shocked by that. That is because I was, you know, some people like you meet them and then you never meet them again because they live on the other side of the world Mm, and you mm. never see them, never hear about them again. They might not be active online and you just take for granted, oh, this person's just like, you know, existing Mm, somewhere. mm. But I mean, he is, but wow, that he passed. Really sad to hear that. It was really nice devotee. So it shocked, shocked the community. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not expected. And um, yeah, he loved, he loved Kirtan. Yeah, he did love Kirtan. I remember he, um, he used to call me over all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, I have some really important temple uh, temple things to talk to you about. You need to come over. We need to have a meeting. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, fine. I'm coming over. I'm like, yeah. you know, you need you need to get here. I'm like, okay. So I'd go over there, and all he'd want to do is is is, is do kirtan. Really? <laughs> like, show me how to play this beat on the mridanga. Like, oh, look, check out this tune I've been practicing. And he's like, let's do some kirtan. He'd just sit oh, down and just want to chant. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> so then, when you took over, so after he left, then it was just natural that, okay, you're Janardin's going to be the president. Well, I don't know about natural. He, he asked me to, and yeah. he recommended to the, to the national council in yeah. uh, ISKCON Australia. And, um, and then they approved it um, conditionally. You know, they, they always for, for, for new presidents, they'll always put like a, um, like a trial period. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially it just, it, it, it happened like that. What were some challenges in the beginning? Because I would, I would think it was a lot to take on being, having a, maybe university or a job, full, full-time job, nine to five, but then taking on a temple presidentship, like of a temple, like, how was that? Yeah, it, it was a steep learning curve because um, previously it was it was Jai Vijay Prabhu kind of leaning on me for yeah. some additional support to just take care of you know things here and there. Um, but it's not until you have the full weight of that responsibility on your shoulders and you realize how much all of the previous presidents have been doing. Um, it's a lot. It's it's definitely at least a full time job, if not more than a full time job. Um, it's there's every, everything, everything that happens, you know, in the community from from finances to you know restaurants and and, and different kinds of programs that are happening. Um, Spir- a spiritual vision. Sp- yeah, the, what? Yeah, what? What's the vision? What are your goals? Yeah, you know, do you have you know KPIs? What are you trying to achieve? What do yeah, you, do you yeah. want to look back in five years and be in the same place, or do you want to say, "Oh, look how far we've come," yeah. and and where is it that we want to go? Um, wow, it's it, it's a lot, and 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 you you want to keep the community um, happy in their service and inspired in their service. But when it's someone, you know, for me, I felt well, I I felt like a junior mm. um, because a lot of the people in the community are older than me. Um, a lot of them have high levels of education. They have um, a lot of business experience and management experience. Um, so you have a lot of people in the community who are very intelligent and also have a lot of different opinions about what should be done in different circumstances, uh, in different scenarios. And you can't please everybody. And it's different. It's difficult because I 
I don't know, maybe it's the Libra in me. I, I just like to be good yeah. with everyone. I like to have good relationships with everyone. I'm yeah. not, um, you know, I, I don't really like to, to, to leave someone on a bad note or yeah. so that, that was a steep learning curve to learn how to just say, to, to draw a line somewhere and say, well, this is, this is it, whether you like it or not, eventually we have to make a decision on something and not everyone's going to like it. That's, that's just how it's going to be. Um, and so that took me a while because in the beginning I, I felt like maybe there's a way for me to please everyone. And I tried and, wow. and that, um, you know, I was, you know, someone told me I'm just too idealistic. And, and after they gave me that feedback, which I thought at, at the time was a compliment and they were saying, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're, you're just an idealist. And it took me a while to realize that, yeah, you can't just be an idealist all the time. You have to actually, you have to make change. You have to make decisions. You have to be ready. If you are, if, if no one has anything to say about you, then you're not doing anything important, mm. right? If, if, if no one has anything bad to say about you, then you're probably not doing anything of significant value, <laughs> yeah. right? So yeah. you have to, you have to ruffle some feathers. Yes. It's inevitable. And I, I realized, and that was hard for me to, to get used to because it's just not something that's really my nature. Something I feel like when I talk to temple presidents, I'm always thinking like, what are the challenges? What are the really negative things? What is like, it's so difficult. You know, it's such a thankless task and everything. But like on the other side, what have been like the positive things for you personally or mm -hmm. for just, just in that journey as a temple president? Like, What are some positives? Um, one of the biggest positives was that before I got involved um, like this, I over time, I felt like I was perhaps becoming more and more disconnected from the community. Yeah. I would, I would show up at programs, at festivals at, you know, in, in Brisbane, we have a Saturday feast instead of a Sunday feast. Oh, we cool. used, we used to have, um, uh, we, we have, uh, Sunday programs for our more sort of Westerner outreach preaching. And then we have Saturday program uh, at the temple, which is, uh, much more predominantly the Indian community. Right. So we try and cater as much as possible, you know, to, to both. Yeah. Um, but I just remember going to those programs and it was, it was just a, a little social thing. And, um, and then we would, uh, then I'd go home and, and I didn't, I didn't really feel anything particularly, um, you know, I didn't feel particularly connected. So after a while, um, I, I was coming maybe a slightly less. And when, when I, um, took on this service, yeah. I, I was forced to see how much service everyone was doing. I was forced to see how much, um, despite having kids, despite having jobs and however many other, you know, different responsibilities, it's hard enough when you have a full-time job and kids just to do 16 rounds yeah. in a day. Right. It's, it's so difficult. And on top of that, to have people doing all these other things, preaching programs and services and deity worship, I just, I, I, my appreciation for for the community grew immensely. And wow. that was a huge positive for me. The other, the other positive for me was that, um, I developed a very strong admiration for, uh, the leadership in ISKCON, at least in, in, in my immediate environment yeah. in, in, in ISKCON Australia, being able to see behind that curtain because, you know, growing up as a Gurukuli, I was pretty opinionated. Um, I thought I knew a lot. Um, I 
I would criticize things if I didn't agree with them. I would criticize policies if I didn't agree with them or temple presidents or, right. or GBC or whoever. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, a little bit, a little bit anti-authoritarian type, you know, personality. But when I, when I got to experience what they do and how hard they work, um, I, my whole perception changed mm -hmm. and I started to really appreciate how dedicated they are. Like, I just didn't know. I don't think anybody until they experience, until they really, um, are, are, are in that environment. They just don't know how much work goes into everything. Every decision that gets made, how much thought goes into it, how they're going 24-7. Um, you know, people will make speculations about, oh, are they getting paid? How much are they getting paid? What benefits are they getting? What's happening? Why are they against this group or are they against that group? Right. But when you see what's happening, most of these guys are, you know, these senior devotees are getting nothing. And they're working like crazy hours from morning till night every single day just serving, serving the community. And, and um and yeah, you know, the community will often bite at them and they have to bear the brunt of that. But, but there, there's also a lot of positives that come with that. And there's a lot of appreciation that comes with that from the community as well. So yeah, sometimes it's a thankless task, but some, sometimes, or most of the time, I think it can be really, really rewarding. Just, just that satisfaction, that sense of satisfaction of feeling that you are some small part of of you know whatever festival is happening or whatever preaching programs happening um is really nice and it and it helped me to deepen my relationship you know with with krishna i think and um it forced me but by putting me in really tough positions um where there's no alternative apart from just literally begging krishna to help you because yeah. i i don't i don't see a way out of this and that happens again and again where you just you're in a situation where i don't know what's What's the right way forward? I don't see a way how to how to solve this problem. How do I get out of this situation? Or how do we as a temple get out of this situation? And you have to just keep begging Krishna to help you. And um, and so far, every single time he does. And so I've started to get to that point where I actually have confidence that he will reciprocate in that way. Yeah. And so now I find myself panicking less and stressing less mm. because I feel like, um, whatever happens in the end, it'll, it'll be okay. I had mother Urmila, uh, come on the podcast a few, so many years, a few years ago now. And her, we were speaking about like centralization and mm. how, uh, organize, like when a religion or a, an institution can be too centralized, too organized, then it kind of loses some of that, um, mm. spiritual feel, so yeah. to say, what do you think about like i understand leaders have you know certain organizational tasks to to perform and things like that and sometimes it could overshadow you know a sadhana or reading or something like that do you feel sometimes that iskon can be too centralized or it, or does it have its place in the society or can we kind of pull back a, a little bit on that and be like, hey, like you were talking about, like mm. you have groups of people that you work with in the temple mm. and you like let them do what they need to do. Like, and you kind of step in if something's going really, you know, not right or something, but mm. like maybe like laissez-faire, like really kind of letting things happen or 
really keeping a you know a tight ship, so to say. Well, I'm gonna be a Libra and say <laughs> <laughs> probably it's a little good, bit of it's not good about Libras boring. talking to a Libra. Yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> this is the worst. This is the worst episode. Um, <laughs> the most boring episode of all time. <laughs> so um, far, as you said, it's a really fantastic. There, so I. I, I truly believe that it has to be a balance of both right. because, because when we, when we read about the devotees from over the last few hundred years, you know, like going from Lord Chaitanya's time up until, you know, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, it was, it was like smaller groups that were scattered around in different areas, you know, in Orissa, West Bengal, Vrindavan. Yeah. And you didn't have like a centralized governing body to, to, you know, who are meeting every year and making new rules and deciding what can and can't be done. And, but at the same time, you didn't really need it because it was just small, small groups. Yeah. But at the same time, Lord Chaitanya is saying, okay, you got to get out there and you got to make this a global phenomena. So how do you, how do you do that while maintaining that same level of, um, individuality and spontaneity it's it's quite difficult probably impossible you know i'd say so so you know Srila Prabhupada had set up this governing body commission and i think that there are pros and cons to it and i think everybody i mean i i don't think that's a secret i think everybody sort of knows this but but without it you lose the organization mm. Um, and I think it was, was it Giriraj Maharaj, I think that Srila Prabhupada had a conversation with and, and Giriraj Maharaj sort of asked, how are we going to do this? How are we going to progress? How are we going to make, uh, how are we going to help Krishna consciousness grow and, 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 and become a, a global phenomenon and, and just get bigger and bigger. And Prabhupada said organization and intelligence. Mm. So organization is required. Before it was, it was decentralized. It was not organized. It wasn't an organized religion. So organization is absolutely essential. But with organization comes more boundaries and less room for individuality. Mm. And so striking that balance, I think, is very, very difficult. And I think that I think that the leaders of ISKCON have a really hard job to somehow keep so many devotees from so many different cultural backgrounds. Um, like you already see different groups emerging, right? You've got the Krishna West kind of people. You've got people who are much more, want to be much more traditional and a, a bit more Indian style. And, you know, wherever you go, you'll find devotees who their own cultural background is influencing the way that they have a relationship with Krishna. Yeah. But um, if you're trying to manage a worldwide organization, you have to set some kind of a boundary. As soon as you let, it's just it's just the nature of people, right? That as soon as as soon as one thing um, becomes accepted, or it seems to be, oh, someone did that. Okay, I'll do that too. And then a hundred thousand other people do that too, and then it goes out of control. Yeah. You know, and, and and oftentimes, at least from what I've seen with with um, you know, um, especially if you see the the um, following Shri Prabhupada DVD series, yes, a lot of the memories that that devotees talk about, it seems oftentimes that. Um, Prabhupada was okay with things and then everybody started doing it. And he's like, okay, there's no more of that. 
yeah. like whatever it was, chocolate or, or doing this thing or that thing, like, okay, that's enough. No more. Like we can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the GBC oftentimes has to do a similar thing, but it's often, from what I've seen, at least within Australia, decisions are not made like just on a whim. They're very, very carefully thought out and there's debate that happens, different opinions, uh, you know, are considered and, you know, it, it doesn't just happen in, in one meeting. Things often drag over a long period of time before decisions, you know, can be made. Um, so it's, it's a, um, it's a conundrum. How do you grow the organization and how do you at the same time maintain a sense of individuality or a sense of, um, personal relationship with Krishna. I think that the answer is that we have to have two levels of, of understanding within ourselves. One is my own personal relationship with Krishna and my, and and my devotee association. And the other being my obligation to Srila Prabhupada Mm. and ISKCON, you know, my, Mm. my gratitude, for what Srila Prabhupada has done for me and Srila Prabhupada and his spiritual master and so on going all the way back. That's what they want. They want it to spread. They want everybody to have the opportunity. So I have an obligation to, to help that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I may have also my own individuality to some degree. Um, and perhaps that's, perhaps that's the way that it needs to, to be for each of us rather than taking it to management. Um, just do the, be the best devotee that we can be, you know, on our own. And, um, and one thing that I've really appreciated whenever it's happened is when people get together and work as a team, sometimes I'll get my way. Sometimes you'll get your way and I won't get my way. Yeah. But as long as we work as a team and as long as you say, look, fine, I have, I had a different direction that I wanted to go, but for the sake of moving forward, let's do it. Because most of the time, those decisions, those, those things are, are, are small. Yeah. If you zoom out and you look back, you know, 20 years from now, yeah. it's like, you know, should I put the shoes on this side or that? Who cares? <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever little thing it is, you know, how should we spend this little bit of money or how should we, should this program be on Sunday or Saturday or should this happen or that happen? You know, whatever it is that the grand scheme of things, it's, it's relatively inconsequential. The main thing is that we actually work together because even if there, even if your opinion, for example, is better than my one, if we argue about it and then we go separate ways and nothing really happens. But if you sort of say, look, I, I strongly believe what my option is better, but for the sake of us all working together, let's do it. Let's, let's work together and do, do what you want this time. And another time, maybe we'll do what you want. But as long as we're all moving forward together, it makes a much bigger splash. It makes a much bigger impact. And so I've, I've always wanted that to happen, you know, whenever I'm trying to um, do something or get something done. And whenever it does happen, I'm so appreciative of it. And I feel like we could have, sometimes devotees will look back and say, what have we done in the last 10 years or 20 years? What have we really achieved? Um, And it's a valid question, but some, you know, I think that, well, what could we have achieved if we all just worked together? We would, even if we didn't have a strong, 
strategy, you know, and a set of KPIs or whatever it was, some measurable outcomes that we wanted to achieve. Even if we didn't have that, if we simply just got together and we're like, whatever we're doing, let's do it together and let's go forward, yes, yes. then we would make huge impacts. Yeah. I like the point um, some devotee made that something may not be measurable in the sense of, okay, certain books, amount of books went out or a new temple was built or blah, blah, blah. Mm. But like, let's say in the past 10 years, how much did we develop our relationships together and grow as a community that might not be even measurable. It might just mm. be that we spent time together and we didn't argue about something or we didn't fight with each other or yeah. create politics or whatever it might be. That also in itself is like a success, I would say. That if we if we can just deal with each other in a nice way and get along with each other, I think that's so important. And it's like, okay, the books and all that stuff with the quantities is nice, but like a quality relationship with each other is sometimes hard to come by these days, I feel. Yeah. I look, we 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 all hear that that famous quote by Prabhupada, right? Like yeah. quality over over quantity is it something like that like i'd mm. rather have one moon than than many stars, stars yeah yes um i like you work in a university environment right? I, yeah. I i also so yeah. in in research amongst academic researchers you you have two kind of main types of research you've got qualitative and quantitative and quantitative is what is often a lot of the time it's, it's much easier to write a report about, you know, quantitative stuff that you can, you know, graphs and you can measure things. Yes. Qualitative outcomes are a little harder to define and, and, and clearly, but I think it needs to be a combination of the two. Mm. Um, but of the two, I think qualitative is more important than mm. quantitative because if you, like you said, if you've distributed a hundred thousand books and as a result, no one, comes to the temple or no one starts chanting or you know maybe maybe they will and may, maybe they get some kind of special mercy by touching the book or right. you know maybe right. but if you just go out and have a have a regular small program with four or five visitors that come you know once a week or twice a week and you know and you start developing a personal relationship with those people and they feel like they're your friend and then they start as a result you know start to chant and then then what and and maybe you give them a you know Bhagavad Gita, then you might have only distributed three or four books, um, but then those people are chanting regularly, they're coming to your program regularly, they start reading Prabhupada's books regularly. And then what's more important, the ten thousand books that got distributed and nobody really read? Or I, I, I'm I'm not saying anything against book distribution because sure. that as well has its place because and that's why Prabhupada, you know was so strong on book distribution because the more it goes out, it's like PR, the more people that see it and have some kind of contact with it, yeah. the more it becomes a publicly known and accepted part of society. Yeah. But in terms of making devotees, that's where the qualitative side, you know, I think often will, will kick in. So yeah. I, I just think it needs to be a combination. Yeah. Um, so something that's fascinating also is that you are a part of a community that's all that has Indian congregation as well as you're trying to develop a western congregation what have been what's been your experience in that way because i know sometimes when it's a predominantly indian congregation then maybe that um you know that they can't relate so much like my opinion is that you can't expect a full 100 indian congregation to be able to be like 
okay, we're going to try to attract like specifically like Westerners because like what we were talking about earlier, like maybe that cultural difference mm. may not be like might be there and there might not be, um, okay, this is nice and everything. Someone may come, this is nice, but like, I can't relate with these people. They may not in the same culture as me. Of course there are these like, you know, people that can do that and they stick around and things like that. But for the most part, I think it's um, people generally make friends and mm. preach to their to their own people. So, what's been your experience with both trying to do both things in your community? Um, so far, so good. I I think that um... like, how do you deal without being like? <laughs> for lack of a better term like racist you know it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's difficult sometimes because it's like mm. oh we, the indian people like are not like they're already devotees like mm. they're less important like we need to target the white people because like that's what propod came here to to preach to the white people like it, because their souls are different than the indian people mm. so it's like it's kind of like this like subtle racism that doesn't sit with me and also all in indian people of my generation who, I mean, I had a podcast about it with my brother-in-law. Um, but yeah, I mean, how has it been in your community? Um, it's certainly a factor. I, I don't think that, generally, I don't think anybody intends for the, for, to come across that way. Right. It's just a natural thing that happens. It's, I mean, people are quick to jump to the term racism. Yeah. I think oftentimes it's just, a natural byproduct of our nurturing, of our upbringing, our background. You know, you, if, if you see like a lot of Gurukulis that were brought up in India are, are super Indian, yeah. and but they're not. But you know, they might be white. You, you or, speak you know, they fluent might be, Hindi. I wouldn't say fluent, but you yeah, know, right. uh, a bit. Yeah. Um, it's a little rusty these days, <laughs> but um, uh. It's just natural that people people coming from different backgrounds have different cultures, different ways of commun communicating, different languages, different uh, you know, different levels of of formality, and and so many things like that. So so even if you have, um, and this is this is going back hundreds and hundreds of years, even within the Gaudiya Vaishnav tradition, right? You know, you had <clears throat> the Arisan devotees had their kind of style. The Bengali devotees had their sort of style, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and Lord Chaitanya is, 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 is even instructing different devotees. Okay. You, you should, you should, um, you should help. And who was it? Kolavecha Shrida with his finances. Cause he's, <laughs> he needed some help in that area and, yeah. you know, getting in, he was getting people to try and form community who are from the same village or from the same areas right. to try and, you know, form strong bonds. Um, so it's not necessarily that, that, that there's just some kind of inherent hatred or distrust or, or something, but it's just a natural, um, it seems to be a natural thing that people coming from different backgrounds just tend to gravitate towards people of their own culture, of their own background. So, um, it's, it, it, it's a little difficult, I think, for people who've never tasted Krishna consciousness and who don't come from an Indian background to, to come into a, an ISKCON festival with, with a large Indian community, with a lot of colors and, and, and sounds and different languages happening and different kind of rituals happening. Yeah. And it's very foreign, very alien to them. 
not that it's not that they have a negative experience. They might have a wonderful experience. Like this is far out. This is really interesting, but it's something that I just came as a, as a bystander to like visit. Yeah. It's almost like you go to the zoo and you see like, wow, that was cool. But like, I'm not going to live here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's just, I'm just a visitor. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming through. Yeah. And, and, um, and similarly, you know, if you put, if you put, you know, very cultured, you know, Indian gentlemen and ladies, you know, coming in to, you know, a typical say Aussie, you know, group of people, they may feel a little awkward that oh, this is, you know, okay, this is a little different. Yeah. And even if it's amongst devotees, sometimes there are different levels of, um, of formality and different levels of or different ways of communicating. So I, but, but I think that, um, Krishna consciousness is, is for everyone. And that's, and that's what the international stands for in ISKCON. And, um, and what I've seen is that initially I, I was thinking it'd, it'd be great if we could all just come together and, 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 and have one big program. Maybe that's, you know, maybe, maybe that will happen at some point, but in, in order to try and attract people, we, we have a couple of different programs and this is, you know, nothing no credit belongs to me at all. We have a few really, really great teams sure. in Brisbane who go out and do these programs. And, um, and they've started to, to get some really, really nice devotees. And some of those devotees um, now come to the temple all the time and, 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 and they're a bit more used to, you know, the, the culture and, and it's quite easy for them now to just sort of assimilate. Um, and some of them may never fully assimilate with the central temple, but they may just be practicing devotees and may just continue coming to those programs and chanting and reading. And that's great. Oh, so they stay at the little program and they don't fully assimilate into the well, temple. Some will, some won't. Right. Um, like it's not like, uh, like we don't call it a bridging program or something like that. Right. But for some, it is for some, for some, that's a bridge for some, that's the destination. Um, and I think that's fine. Like as long as someone's chanting Hare Krishna, right? Yeah. And if someone's long, as long as someone starts chanting Hare Krishna, reading Prabhupada's books, following the four regulative principles, associating with devotees, um, you know, doing devotional service, right? Then what else? What else is there that is required of you to become to be considered a devotee? Yeah. Something that interests me about temple presidents and just leaders in general in ISKCON is that the quality of being like a unifier and not being like a divisive leader, so to say, because that it's easy that for that to happen. Like you can, you can be your certain way and someone may not be attracted to working with that. And then could, they can kind of be, um, you know, scared away in some ways. So what's been your experience um, assuming that you're trying to be more a unifying person rather than a divisive person and someone like, my way or the highway type thing because that scares people away right as a leader you have to be a unifying person as the leader of the community so what's been your experience doing that how does that happen like do you have mm -hmm. to learn that is it a personality is it um something natural like uh we we have to eat a lot of humble pie right you have to really um Whatever happens, even if it's got nothing to do with you, if someone else in the community does something that offends someone else, that's your that becomes you know the leader's problem to deal with. Um, 
so yeah, how do you how do you keep everybody? Ha- Look, I I don't think I am have the qualification or you know the ability to you know or the, or the kind of um. Know what's the word, but that that quality to be able to, um, or maturity to be able to com- just completely unify everyone, um, and you know perhaps I use the excuse that you know Kali Yuga is the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. What can I what, <laughs> what can I do? You know, it's not it's like my a fault. Button. It's like a button. <laughs> quarrel and hypocrisy. Not my fault, right? Um, but what I try to do is, um. I guess your 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 ego kind of gets beaten down quite a bit. It becomes hard to to maintain a big ego because you're constantly getting you know getting things that you have to deal with. But at the same time, um, because you know, because I know how hard it is to do you know the all of these services that so many devotees are doing. And I know how hard it is to just maintain, you know, a roster and maintain, you know, just hoping that enough money's coming in and you know, to be able to pay the bills, uh, keep the electricity on, keep the water flowing and keep, you know, keep the rent being paid and all these little things, keep the devotees engaged, keep them, you know, happy and inspired. Because I know how hard that is, I, I gain, I've gained a big appreciation um, for what they do. So for me, what I try to do, I'm not very good at it. And this is something I've had to learn because I'm not a very good, um, funnily enough, for somebody who, who tried to study communication, I'm not a very good communicator in general. Um, and I don't communicate, I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. So I don't get, like my feelings don't get hurt that easily. Mm. Um, I can get stressed, but, my, but I'm not so emotional. And so I have to be very conscious about other people's emotions because I don't necessarily mm. have as much of that myself. So I have to be very, very strongly you know, aware of that. And be, but because I've grown, this appreciation for, for the devotees has grown so much, it's, that has helped me to try to reciprocate with them through, word, you know, through actions and words of affirmation and appreciation to them um, and encouragement and, and gratitude. And, um, and no matter what happens, no matter if you hear, you know, whatever rumor, someone said something about you or someone said, you know, something about this or that or whatever, but always come back. And, and, and my policy is just kill them with kindness. Just always try. Yeah. I'm not very good at it, but I want to be, I want to get to that point where that's all I can, all I do is whatever happens. If I can just curb my own you know initial reaction to to respond in a certain way and instead just come back with with love then i feel eventually people will run out of out of things you know out of anything negative and and they'll just like finally it'll be like all right that's kind of exhausting let's just mm-hmm. let's just get along now because it's kind of hard to, yeah. to dislike you anymore or dislike what's going on because eventually like look whatever i don't agree with it but i, I get what you're trying to do and you know, maybe I'll jump on board. Right. What are the, some of the things that you do or that the community does to kind of build relationships amongst the devotees, like congregation development, um, 
besides like a festival or service together mm. are there other things that are kind of what you guys do um well there are a lot of things that i don't do that i should do right. and, and i wish i i would be able to do um i feel like i just simply don't have enough time so i i would like to be visiting devotees at their at their house at their homes more mm. you know got having dinner with them right. uh, spending more personal one on time one on one time with with different people in the community and just just showing them some more appreciation on a one you know one on one level um i try to do that whenever i can just in short bursts with in in conversations that i have with them when i see them um but one of the things that i i saw growing up was how many um leaders temple presidents you know were getting burnt out yes and um so i might not be an ideal temple president but i feel like you can either be the ideal temple president in as many people's minds as possible and maybe last for a couple of years and then you're done <laughs> right or you can kind of be maybe like i don't know maybe okay <laughs> i don't know but, like, but for the long but, haul but yeah 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 and and if you're there for the long haul then um and i i don't know what krishna's plan is but then there i think are more opportunities to make progress yeah like even in democracy right we see every couple of years they they're voting in a new government and then they're changing all the policies and they're doing new things how can you make long-term progress that way mm. when when there's just a constant change of um of policy change of team change of vision and leadership um i i feel like in most cases it would be difficult to 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 make long-term um strides you know you know pr progress so um what I, yeah, so I, I kind of made this conscious decision to, and also because, you know, for the sake of, you know, of my wife as well, that, um, it's not easy. She didn't make the decision. She didn't make that choice to, to, to be sort of dragged into that. Yeah. Um, and so I made a, you know, a conscious decision to try and be as balanced as I can. And balance means, you know, try to have a little bit of, um time for my family or a little bit of time for myself and um one of the things i like to think about is um you know when you go on a plane and and they give you the safety briefing and they say look if if, if there's something if something happens the mass oxygen mask will drop and you know you, you pull it down you put it on your face now if you have a if you have a child with you what do you do put it your first you put your own one first right yeah. you don't you don't save the child and then because if you're dead <laughs> How are you going to help anyone? Yeah. So you have to put some, you have to put your own one first. And then if there's anyone else that you see, whether it's children or, or someone who's incapacitated, then you try and help them yes. because you're in a position to help them. How can you help other people if you're struggling so much yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I try to do that to some degree. And I think that that's something that, that, um, ISKCON leadership more broadly has been talking about because so many people have, um, have just been getting burnt out because people, most of us don't realize how much work, how much um, stress and how much time goes into um, all of these 
responsibilities of, of running a global volunteer organization. You know, if you work is easy, right? When you work in an organization, it's, it's easy. You have a bunch of people there who are getting paid a salary. And if you don't do what the manager says, you're fired. You don't have a job anymore. You can go, you can go and find a job somewhere else, but not here. When you're dealing with volunteers, you can't do that. You're not paying them. They're there out of the goodness of their heart. They're, They're just, there yeah. for, for Prabhupada, for Krishna. Yeah. They're just volunteering. You can't fire them. You can't, you know, and you need them to be able to do anything. Like a temp, like being a temple president just means a lot of the time you're just kind of telling other people what to do. Delegating is a lot harder than, than people realize, I think. Mm. I didn't realize how, I thought, ah, oh, you just get other people to do stuff. It's not easy, especially when it's volunteers. You have to be you know, begging people, calling around, calling favors, feel bad about you're pulling people away from their families. They might be busy. They might even be a bit sick or tired. And, and, you, and he's like, yeah, but we have to get this service done. We can't not wake the deities up today or we can't, you know, right. there's, things have to just get done every single day. And, and, th- and they're all volunteers. And, um, so I, Jai, I think we, this was, it was Jai Vijay Prabhu, the previous temple president who, who told me one time that I, th- he quoted, I think it was John Maxwell, some, uh, a famous management expert. And he said that, um, that he, the quote was that if, if you want to get your board of directors in, in a large organization, if you want your board of directors to gain some serious leadership skills, in in how to motivate people in 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 how to get everybody to work together as a team go and send them to manage a volunteer organization for a while Mm. because it's a totally different beast it's completely different i mean i work i work a full-time job as well and it's it's completely different Mm. work is easy when you're dealing with devotees it's not only the volunteer aspect but people are doing this it's not just like oh we're feeding hungry people. This is, pe- this is people's life. It's their passion. It's, it's something that is, com- it's, it's the most deep rooted part of who they are. Right. And if you mess with that, Oh yeah. You know, the consequence people respond very emotionally to that. That's yeah. it's the most, it's, it's the most deep part of who they are as a person. And if you do something that upsets that it's, it's very sensitive. So it's not easy always, but at the same time, the fact that people are that passionate about it, I think should be seen as a really positive thing. Mm. Something I always talk about is, um, you know, the Bhakti Center here in New York, uh, they, they got a very, very expensive marketing agency to mm. do a study on their members who have come new new members mm. and they did like a poll or something like that or a study what they do and they did it like pro bono they just because mm. they knew the devotees or something and so the the result of the of the whole study was that uh two things that the the members that they were attracted to two things what one was a family atmosphere and the second was um uh, the second was uh, t- traditional uh, teachings, like tr- things that were wow. like traditional teachings of Vedic philosophy or Christian consciousness, whatever it was. 
But those were the two most attractive things was the family atmosphere and something that's coming down from tradition. And so I always found that really interesting when, um, you know, the first, the family atmosphere is always attractive to anybody, mm. you know, like to come into a temple where you feel loved, where you feel cared for. You're like you said, you're a volunteer, but why do people continue to do what they're doing is because they feel like, Oh, I feel loved here. And I feel like I could give my time here. And it's like, mm. like you said, it's like the most deep thing. And if you, if anyone messes with that, it's like, it's going to be really like disturbing. So that's one thing. And then the traditional teachings, that it's like authentic teachings. Like it's something, you know, okay, we might have a family atmosphere, but we also want them to be Krishna conscious. We want them, mm. we want to impart yeah. like the knowledge there. We want to impart the teachings, have them become sadhikas, have them, enjoy, you know, kind of start their Krishna conscious journey and things. So, yeah, I mean, it's like such a, it's such a difficult task. Like the more I hear you speak about it, the more I'm like appreciating like the different people that I know in my life who are, leaders or who are working within that management scope because i've always had i've always been like you know like you were saying what you were when you were younger just a little bit like critical or it's yeah, easy to yes. be critical it's easy to be like oh look at them they're like making decisions and you know meetings all day long they're not coming up with anything good and and you know they're making the wrong decisions or this and that but the more i hear about it the more i'm like okay i may not agree with everything but Everyone's kind of just my, my late, latest thing has been like everyone's kind of just trying like their hardest and it may be imperfect, you know, but mm. I'm not doing it. So who am I to say, you know, hey, you're doing you're 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 not doing it right or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, that's good that you brought up your wife, you know, behind every great man is a great woman. So how has that been for your relationship? Like she would she didn't kind of agree to it. You'd kind of, you know are the temple president. So how has that been in your marriage life? Yeah. So initially, initially it was a little challenging yeah. because all of a sudden there was a lot of, um, pressure and I wasn't, and you know, still am not, I'm always learning, but certainly a lot less experienced. And it also happened to be right when the pandemic hit. Mm. So, you know, Jai Vijay Prabhu passed away and a few months later, there was this global, within a couple of months, this pandemic had become this global thing. So all of a sudden, you know, we, we were dealing with lockdowns and trying to figure out different ways of doing programs and preaching and taking everything online. And, and, and so was, there was just so much happening. We were shutting down restaurants, trying to figure out how to, you know, pay rent and, and do so many different things. Cut, trying to cut costs mm -hmm. and figure out, you know, is it offensive if we offer less flowers to Krishna? <laughs> right. you know? Like we, we, we had to, you know, is, is it okay that we're spending like 15 to $20,000 a year on flowers? And, you yeah. know, maybe we can do that less. Maybe we can start growing our own flowers. And, you know, so we, we had to adjust so many things. And every time you adjust something like that, that's usually also means you need someone else to do some additional service. And, yeah. and then of course, um, as is with probably many temple presidents or many management teams, um, there are always different opinions amongst the community and you can't please everyone. So, you know, initially I, I wanted to please everyone and I was trying to um, find a way to do that, which was, you know, probably a little naive of me. <laughs> um, 
But all you Libras, you know, I I tried. I I thought I was I was arrogant enough to think that you know everyone before me failed, but maybe I can do it. You know, right. and, um, you know, and I was wrong, of course. And <laughs> <laughs> but um, but as some of those conflicts emerged and and um, and some of those differences of opinion became more externally evident and were much more in my face <clears throat> and there were so many it's not just that that it's just that on top that that was happening but on top of that there are so many other day-to-day -day things that are going on mm -hmm. whether it be finances or rostering of services or or, or dealing with you know leases and, and you know so many different things you know the, the, the new temple building project um you know trying to figure out what should we do? Should we have a strategy? Should we not? Should we just let people kind of do it as they want to do it? Um, should it be more structured? Should it be less structured? So many things are going on and so much input is also coming in. You're getting a lot of input and then you have to take all of that input and kind of make a decision on something. And so all this was happening and, um, and I started getting very stressed and, um, and I started to take, I started to, you know, take some of that stress home, just, just yeah. be a little bit stressed at home, um, coming home from work and being up until late, um, on the phone, just so like, because as soon as it hit a lot of the community are working jobs as well. Yeah. So it's like, I'll finish work at, you know, five 30, everyone's finishing work at around any time between five and six usually. So as soon as that evening time comes, everyone's like, yep, let me call Janardin. <laughs> let's call the temple president and talk about whatever issue I've got or whatever service we need to talk about, or let's have meetings. <laughs> so I'll be up until, you know, and, and so my wife is, is cooking. She's cleaning. I used to do a lot of the cooking. I used to do a lot of the clean. We, we share everything because she was working and I was working, you know, I'm working, okay. she's working. So we share everything. Um, you know, if, if she wasn't working, then she, sure, she can, she can look, look after the house stuff or vice versa. But since we're both working a full-time job, we shared everything in the house really, you know, quite equally. Yeah. And, but then it, now it's like the point where I hardly ever cook. I'll hardly ever cook. So, so she was cooking, she was cleaning, she was shopping, working a full-time job, doing everything around the house and the washing, and, you know, the laundry, everything. And I was trying to do some of that, Yeah. but I would just be up late at night getting stressed because I'm not going to get enough sleep. And now it's just like this flow on effect. And if you don't, you know, if you don't get enough sleep tonight, then it's like you're, you're around suffer and then your service suffers and your mental capacity is lowered. And I just realized I, I tried to reduce my number of hours you know, of sleep. And I went, you know, from sort of seven and a half to seven to six and a half to six. And then I stayed on six for a long time. And, um, and I just, you don't get a siesta in the day, you know, you don't, you don't get the afternoon nap and yeah. it's like, you know, six hours might be okay. You know, like if you're, if you're a really advanced devotee and, you know, I know Prabhupada sort of said, you know, maybe six is okay. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen other places where, where he said something like six to seven or, or something like that, right. but you know, I tried and I was okay for a while and I just, my mental capacity just became was lowered and became lower and lower and I wasn't as efficient as I used to be. And, you know, my mood was a little 
worse. And so, you know, so some of that was at home and my, my wife is cooking, then she's eating dinner by herself while I'm still on the phone, having meetings and writing emails. Then she goes to bed and I'm still on the oh phone and writing emails. And every now and then I'm like, ah, you know, just growling or, or being frustrated or, you know, wow. and, and, and being tired. And, and so that started affecting her because, you know, if you're around someone who's tired and stressed out, that just is, it's a bummer. You just, yeah. you, you start to feel that energy as well. Right. And so, um, so when I expressed that to the, to the leadership, you know, in Australia, they, they really supported me a lot and, um, and they, you know, they told me, okay, firstly, you need to take some time off, take a couple of weeks. Don't, doesn't matter how urgent, um, the service is, you don't do any, anything for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and that made an impression on me because it, it, it showed me that people were more important to them. Mm. That it wasn't people, individuals were more important to them, um, than, than whatever, you know, the rest of the community or the organization, not the community, the people, but the organization itself. And, um, and that's interesting because I always had this feeling growing up, you know, anti-authoritarian and, uh, they don't care about us. They are just trying to, you know, whatever, make, make money and, and sell stickers and books and do whatever, <laughs> you know, buckets and whatever they got to do. And, you know, like, it's just like the, it's basically like a corporate machine and, um, you know, maybe they don't care so much about people and individuals. And then I realized it's, it's actually not true. Um, I got a totally different perspective and they really cared. They supported, um, and, you know, and they advised me also not to take, how not to take things home and how to, you know, like shut off my phone after a certain time, like seven right. o'clock, I've got an automatic thing on my phone. It just goes on silent. Right. And, um, and it, if it's urgent, call the police. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, like if it's that urgent, like if it's a fire, call the fire brigade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. I'm yeah. just, you, you tell me there's a fire, I'm going to call the fire brigade. Yeah. So if it's that urgent, you know, just, you know, do, do the sensible thing and then we'll deal with it in the morning and, you know, or, you know, so, so that, that support was, was really useful. It was, it was, it gave me a good impression and it gave me a sense of appreciation for leadership. Because although I had, you know, opinions before, um, having the experiences that I've had now, I really hope that no matter what happens to me and wherever I end up, I hope that I never be that same person that I was before this service. Mm. I hope that I never become one of those people who is, who is just judging and criticizing leadership because Unless I'm part of their team, I don't know what went into making a decision. Doesn't mean that they're all good. Doesn't mean that every decision's good. I certainly have made bad decisions, and I'm sure I'll make a lot more bad decisions in the future. Right. But I've just realized how important it is for us to work together. Mm. And so I've got a huge appreciation for how dedicated leadership is. No matter what the decisions are or what the outcomes are, I know what's in their heart. Mm. I've experienced it and and I know that that's what I want. I want to have that feeling one day. I want I think to have it's that a, sense. I think it's a testament to your dedication that you were taking all those calls like after work and till late night. Like I think a, a, someone who like maybe didn't care as much would just be like, oh, like deal with it. You know, like I have my own life and stuff. But the fact that you were taking that is like shows that, okay, 
you really wanted to do this like real seriously and you wanted to do it well and you wanted to help and but it's really it's really good that the, the your mentors or whatever of the of iscon and the management there told you like hey don't bring it home mm. shut your phone off at a certain time you gotta spend you that that's also your priority to be with your family and things like that that's uh that's really great advice i really appreciate that and, and that's it for the long haul that's really good it's like this balance that really is required when you're in management and so you don't get burned out and we don't like have such crazy turnover that we used to have all the time. Right. Turnover, yeah. Crazy turnover. Yeah. At least in what I've seen in my years around here. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of um, temple presidents have gone through multiple mental nervous breakdowns. Um, you know, mm. and I, and I feel like in the beginning I was getting to that point. Yeah. Um, now I feel like I'm a lot better at dealing with, with yeah. everything Yeah, and always, and also I, I kind of thought, well, what's, what's the point in any of this? What's the point in doing any of this service? If that's the way that I feel that's predominantly, if I feel that way in a yeah. negative way, what's the point? The yeah. point of Krishna consciousness, but devotional service is blissful bliss, right? Like yeah, yeah. supposed to, have, you know, what's, why, why would I join, you know, why would I stay in an, in, in an organization or a position where it's not yeah. blissful? So yeah. trying to figure out how to, how to find the blissful side, because it, I, I think it, it's a matter of perspective and trying to exactly. look for it. Exactly. If you it's look about for perspective. The, yeah. If you're looking for the bad stuff, or if, or if you're not looking for the good stuff, I would say, yeah, then you'll only see the bad stuff. Do you ever worry about like finances? Yes and no. Um, yes, in the because there's a big sense of responsibility. Yeah, but no, because I've seen so many times that when I have stressed out about finances, in the end, Krishna has made some miraculous arrangement, like crazy. Um, and people are so generous. Uh, you know, our community is so generous. Every single festival we have, often every festival we get, you know, in any festival we'll get often over $10,000 worth of donations. We're a small community too. So you, you consider that that's, that's we're a good. small temple. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just for the main that's not including what people will put, you know, in, in a donation box. And this is just what people will sponsor for feast and garlands and things like that. Yeah. And anytime we need something, whether it's air conditioner or, you know, to be changed or, or a new stove in the kitchen or a new kitchen fit out or whatever it is, people will just come forward and, and say, you know, yep, I'll help. Or, or if, if we ask people, they'll say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll help. Right. And so to me, that's, you know, I don't know if I could be as generous as all of these. I feel bad. You know, these people are so generous. You see them even when they come to the temple, they'll bring groceries, they'll bring money, they'll bring, they'll always try and bring a gift, you know, for, for Krishna when they come. And yeah. it's a really nice thing to see. So yeah, um, oftentimes when like we've got this new temple project that we're, we're trying to, to start building, we've, we've pretty much got everything ready, design and approvals. We're hoping to start building this year. Mm -hmm. But you know who who knows? Every time there's some unforeseen red tape, or you know some other government approval, or this thing, or that thing, or different contractors being delayed for various reasons. Um, you know, COVID happened. A lot of things were put on hold. Now all the builders are so busy because there's so many projects. Backlog, you know, from the yeah. backlog of projects. Yeah. You know the, you know, 
Panama Canal was blocked up and all the imports were, you know, that impacted imports. And, and because there's that plus all these backlog of projects, there's such a high demand for labor and materials compared to the supply. Mm -hmm. the, the, the demand is so much higher that costs have shot up, you know, sometimes 40%, sometimes even up to 50% in, in some areas. Yeah. So it's, it's made this project scary from a logical perspective, mm -hmm. but, um, but I've, I've, I try to always see things really logically, but I think through some experience, I've realized that logic, um, isn't always the answer because oftentimes Krishna will totally defy logic yeah. and completely unexpected things will happen. And I've noticed that the more that we sort of rely on that and we have a positive attitude, then the more that, that things, you know, just work out, you know, right. Prabhupada, you know, Krishna, Gornitai, you know, they'll just arrange for, for something to ha to work out. Mm. It might not always be exactly what I was planning, but it, but in hindsight, it's often really positive. Yeah. For someone who um, maybe wants to be involved in management or in ISKCON management, would you recommend it? Would you be like, yeah, go for hundred percent or, or is it something like, Hey, my personality is to, or, or I want to serve in that way. And, and that's why I'm doing it. Or, or it just happened that circumstances are made me do that thing. But what would you say to someone who's maybe interested or, or they're saying, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe mm. I need to, you know, cause it's easy to get burned out. It's easy to get mm. uninspired. Like maybe if someone like you did it and they didn't have your background of like Davin and Guru cool and Krishna conscious, like that Krishna, conscious, you could easily just go back and be like, forget all of this. Like I'm, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, th that's mm. always happened in the past, right? Someone's, someone's, uh, you know, uh, maybe a new devotee and they, they've been into Christian college for years and they be, take, get some position in management and then they have such a bad experience that they just completely give up Christian conscious altogether, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, that, that in itself is an interesting phenomena because I, I, I think that um, it makes sense on an emotional level, but, yeah. but people will make those kinds of decisions based on their own experience and they will judge an entire philosophy based on a couple of individuals yes, that, that yes. they didn't gel with. And it's like, well, they shouldn't reflect, right. You know, you, why don't you look for yourself and find out, but, yeah. <clears throat> but you know, it's understandable. Um, but that's a hard question. You know, what, what would I recommend? I would say, you know, the, the, the company answer, <laughs> you know, is, is yes, absolutely. You should get into it and it's great and it's all blissful and it's, and it's amazing. You'll never regret it. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked uh, a temple president that same question before I took on um, the vice president position. And that temple president told me, oh, this is the greatest service in the world. Really? This is the greatest service in the world. It's the best. Um, and I know for a fact that they have to deal with a lot. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, that's an interesting, you know, answer yeah um i i don't know that i would say that i would say that it is certainly challenging but you'll learn a lot and you'll grow a lot both 
personally and and materially in terms of how to deal with different situations, how to deal with life skills, um, financial skills, people skills, leadership skills um, that are very practical, transferable skills, you know, in, in any environment, whether it be within ISKCON or outside of ISKCON, it certainly will give, you know, help you develop those skills. Um, from a devotional perspective, it forces you to become, uh, a better devotee to, to have a closer relationship with Krishna. Um, because you feel a big sense of responsibility. People expect the temple. I mean, I don't, people expect the temple president to be, you know, like a great <laughs> devotee and I, I'm not one. So, but I feel, you know, that there is definitely some pressure. So if you take that pressure in a positive way, then you can, you can progress quickly. Um, but it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a walk in the park. Mm. Um, so it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to give an honest answer because the, because the honest answer is that we really want and need the the younger generation to come on board. And I think a lot of the leaders in ISKCON are wishing and hoping that that happens. And a lot of, it, it might not seem like it always, but a lot of the time they are waiting for people to come forward and help take on responsibility. Yeah. Um, but if that is something that's really daunting, I mean, if you join a company, you don't, you don't join as like the president or the vice president of the company, you know, you'll join at a certain area and you might get some experience and work your way up. And perhaps that's a better way to do it within ISKCON as well. So start by taking some responsibility of organizing a festival regularly and, and then build a team around that of volunteers or start by developing a little namahata or a little preaching program or or make friends with someone who owns a yoga studio nearby or right. or who has a place or even just a house and just start growing a little community of, of friends that you invite and, and and you start you know sharing krishna consciousness with them in a really accessible way and then you know as you develop a personal relationship maybe you can kind of um get them more um, involved in chanting and, and reading and learning more about it. And maybe from there you can grow, you know, take, take on a little bite-sized piece of responsibility, get, dip your toe in the water, get some experience, get those skills. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily that someone without experience should be just thrown in the deep end Yeah, and you know, you just hope that they can swim. Right. What's been your, I guess the last question we're running out of time, but What's been your emphasis as a leader of the community? Like in your mind, what is, what do you emphasize to make you feel like this is going in the right direction? Hmm. It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot, emphasis, yeah. Yeah. because it's like, what the what the leader emphasizes is like what what's the trajectory of where the community is going to go mm. like for example i remember years and years ago in our temple the emphasis was education like really like a mm. lot like oh, i remember my dad and my mm. mom like when they were younger they were like every sunday early they were they were like in bhakti shastri it was like kind of like a hub for learning like mm. devotees came from all over to learn and things like yeah. that and i thought hey that's really good and emphasis is like 
this emphasis of this temple is education. Mm. Emphasis of this temple is like small groups or something and meeting and things like that. So what do you do you have an emphasis or what yeah. do you feel is your emphasis? So my my emphasis, or at least what I, I want to be yeah. uh, the emphasis is relationships. Right. I think that if you can do if you can develop good relationships with your community and especially with the people who have leadership qualities in uh, in the community then <clears throat> regardless of whether you whether you share the same opinions all the time with them or not yeah. if you can at least have a good relationship with them yeah. then you can have all of those things like we have people in our community that are very brahminically minded and they are they are all about education yeah. we have other people who are all about um you know more western preaching or more indian preaching or more interfaith and intercultural you know stuff let's get involved in all the little festivals that we have around brisbane city um make sure we have a presence there or some people are all about book distribution like the whoever has a service to them that's the most important service in the world yeah the head pujari thinks that dd service is the most important service the book distributor thinks that book distribution is the most important and you know the people who's doing running a bhakti briksha program you know thinks that that's the most important thing with preaching you know whatever it is and and, and the answer is that I think is that they're all the most important service because Krishna ha has this capacity for the unlimited number and type of relationships. Yes. And through those relationships, you get all those different kind of, uh, rasas, all those different moods. And I, and, and so I think that it boils for me down to relationships. If you have a good relationship with someone, you develop trust with them, then they, then they're ready to, if it's if it's with other devotees and they then they're ready to cooperate with you yeah. and you with them and if it's with people who are just dipping their toe into krishna consciousness for the first time but you put the emphasis on developing a relationship rather than you know smashing them over their head with the bhagavad gita mm -hmm. then then they'll feel that our friendship comes first mm -hmm. and then krishna consciousness comes and as a result of that they're ready or they're more receptive to hearing about it yeah. because they're hearing from a friend not from someone who's trying to preach to them right. and so for me i feel like uh relationships is a way of of achieving a lot of those mm. you know everybody can sort of try and, uh, and 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 serve according to their nature and their capacity wow well janardan it's been really fun thanks for coming on and i know you were a little um apprehensive about talking on the podcast but you did a fantastic job i think we really got a um really got kind of like a good view of, of of your life and what your services and things like that and i'm really excited to see what comes in the future of iskon brisbane the new temple is coming up that's fantastic and um uh it's it's just like you're like a you're really a unique person in, in our society you're like a treasure and an, a unicorn that i said earlier like you're a very unique person so thank you so much for what you do and what you bring to the society and i hope we can inspire more young devotees to take on responsibility myself included i'd love to take on some responsibility for for the society at some point in my life um i think it's just i think it's something needed and i love i love to hear your story to kind of like propel me forward and maybe and inspire and inspire all the devotees who are listening to uh, do some kind of service yeah thank you namras yeah no problem I, I hope i hope people can you know if if you can take something away then yeah then start doing something yeah don't be a bystander yeah dip dip your toe in. you don't have to go in the deep end just yeah. 
take some small responsibility, even if it's making sure that the toilet always has toilet paper right. or making sure that or being responsible for a festival or a small program, take some level of responsibility and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be nice to see a lot of the younger generation because I think they all want to, and they're almost waiting for a way or find looking for a way to, yeah. to contribute. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with Janardin, Iskon Brisbane, Australia, I'm sure you can get in contact with them there or a website or something like that. But could you turn that, uh, that, that, Lighter, no, yeah, that one. Can you turn that one down a little bit? Just turn it like, keep going. There you go, right there. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, this will probably air, let's see, in a few weeks. But uh, very unique because this is from Australia, all the way from Australia. Oh, you're just you're you're on here on a on a vacation, uh, just traveling America and things. How that how has that been? Yeah, it's good. Just taking a little time off, trying to yeah trying to get a little time for myself and my family. And nice. um, uh, there's never a good time. <laughs> there's always something going yeah, on. Yeah. But yeah, it's been nice. We've been, we've gotten out into nature, national parks, doing some walking and mountain climbing. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. nice. All right, Janar, and take care. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hare Krishna. Hare Bowl. Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare.